Welcome to the Next Pitch Podcast, hosted by Kate Love. Hey guys, and welcome back to the eighth episode of the Next Pitch Podcast. I'm your host, Kate. We have a very fun episode, an important episode. We talked about a lot of stuff that was really important to me um, in this episode with Tyler Ferguson. I'll introduce him here in a minute, but with me right now, I've got our producer, Lucas Still. Lucas, how's it going? I heard it was a little warm in California today. <laughs> it's going well, Kate. Yeah, we, uh, it was up to 80 today. I actually got out to a Sac State baseball game and got some sun, so it was good to kind of get back to some normalcy as far as baseball goes. But I know you got some sun today, too, uh, back at uh, Texas Tech. Or... Yeah, I went to the Texas Tech baseball game, and we uh, we actually showed up late because we watched the Formula One race this morning, and they moved the time. So it was supposed to like be a one o'clock game. They moved it up to noon, which really threw my schedule for a loop. <laughs> um, so I really only I had my legs out in the sun for like maybe three innings, and I have got some pretty funky sunburns on my shins right now. So, and they hurt. Love that. Yeah, already it's not a good sign that's not fun uh, i know you were looking forward to that race it was the first race of the year for f1 it was yeah it was really good it ended up being a good battle so um we had some of our friends out shout out amy and matt they're my big formula one fans and we made brunch and chicken and waffles and just everyone over and then i was saying that um it's like mind-blowing how fast the two hours goes like it, it didn't bet. feel like two hours. There is a lot going on. And and there's all these cool things. Like we were watching this tire tracker that could tell us like how long people had been on tires. And then you're hearing the radio comms. So you know when people's tires are going out. Like Lewis Hamilton was complaining about his tires for the last 10 laps. But he ended up winning it. And I was explaining to you they got to a pretty good battle there at the end. So really good race to start the season. Pretty exciting. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think Red Bull and Mercedes are going to be very competitive and McLaren looked about as good as I expected them to. And I do expect them to challenge for some races this year. So I'm pretty excited, which I am. I'm cheering for McLaren for those of you at home who don't know. That's my team of choice. I know you and Matt are disagreeing about uh, the team here. He said, I was so surprised when he was like, yeah, I'm pulling for Ferrari because Ferrari got caught not following the rules. (laughs) which is why they're pretty mediocre last year. So they made some strides and, um, but the FIA actually announced that they are going to pick one car per race to randomly take apart, which honestly sounds like a nightmare from like a mechanics perspective that they're just going to like dismantle your car, but they're trying to make sure people are following the rules. So McLaren split. So McLaren came in fourth, uh, Lando Norris was in fourth, and then Charles Leclerc came in fifth, who's a Ferrari driver. Then Daniel Ricciardo came in seventh, who's a McLaren driver, and Carlos Sainz came mm-hmm. in eighth. So they're pretty close. So they look pretty yeah. good. They performed sounds, better than I thought they would. It sounds like it was a good race overall. Um, but speaking of... Shitty weather, but a good race. Like bad <laughs> wind, bad sand everywhere, but a good race. So Right. But speaking of uh, enforcing the rules or trying to uh, get around them, professional baseball is trying to lock down on some foreign substances. <laughs> I know you have a lot to say about this, Kate. So I have a lot of thought. I just don't get it. Like 
you can argue that it's integrity all that you want and it's not because like I don't know if you remember in the 2017 World Series do you remember when the guys came out saying that when they would sign the baseballs like sign the official MLB balls that they felt like receipt paper like Justin Verlander compared it to signing a Starbucks receipt I don't remember that but I've definitely seen a brand new MLB baseball and they're so slick and okay so the World Series balls in 2017 were even worse like he said they were like totally different had no grip and all the players were complaining about them and they were throwing them and they were just like they're so slick they're so slick and MLB is like we haven't done anything to the ball and then like people sent balls off and they had like they'd modified Mm -hmm. the leather they'd wound the ball like core tight they'd like literally juice the ball the league had juiced the ball at a point and it's just like for a league that's willing to do those things to manipulate the game and then freaking lie about it you can't claim integrity and then the other thing is is they're like well we're going to use spin rate spin rate spin rate spin rate great like is spin rate important yeah is it the end all be all like no we as we continue to learn things we know that like we know spin rate can tell us a lot but it doesn't tell us everything right and then like are you going to take a baseline for a guy in every stadium and what about guys that are using stick everywhere and what i don't I don't want players in Arizona not using rosin mixed with something else because they're going to hurt someone. Right. So I just, yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't have a player or a problem with players using stick. Like I really don't. I wish the team would, or the league would come up with something that's like equalized across the playing field. But I don't think, yeah, rosin is not the answer. Like it's not a good enough answer. Yeah, I think there's just like so many factors here where it's a just the player safety, as you mentioned, where especially if you have you know left on left guys and it's a lefty that's throwing from a low three quarter or even like a, like a Josh Hader, and if he's throwing 97 and you got a, a lefty hitter that's crowding the plate and he one slips like that could be that could a hundred and three from Chapman slips. Yeah, and so player safety. You also have the factor that probably 90% if not more pitchers are using it so are they going to end up suspending the whole league uh, I saw something where they're going to literally take foul balls and send them off to a lab uh, which is crazy because also if there's pine tar on the ball or something how do you know that it wasn't off of a bat or off of you know a catcher has it on their chest protector like how do you know it was from the pitcher so there's just so many things here that's kind of make me shake my head and also just kind of shows how out of touch or out of tune just the front office of MLB is with what's actually going on in their sport. And yeah, I kind of, I like tweeted this. Like, I guess it goes back to that, like, um, steroids error thing where it's like, where, where do you draw the line? Right. Like when's it considered, what are you, you know, like that whole thing, if everyone's doing it, is it considered cheating? My thought process is if you're MLB and you take a step back and you nailed it, if 90% of pitchers in this league are using it, which that number might be low, honestly. Yeah. But if you look back and you're like, okay, 90% of pitchers are using this. Are we in the wrong just using rosin? But I think it goes back to the same thing. Like what I just said is like spin rate is good to an extent. Like you, you want to have above average spin rate. You want to have below average spin rate, right? Like either way isn't necessarily bad. And for every guy, it's different. Mm-hmm. And we know there are other indicators too. And just to me, it's like MLB 
is placing emphasis in the wrong area. Like they just think that that's so important and they're overvaluing that at such a rate that they think they need to take this drastic step when I think there are better solutions. So I'm pretty, pretty surprised. Um, I just also don't get if you're a sport that is declining and you're trying to make money, you're going to suspend your best talent and the guys that are bringing in the most audience. Like that just kind of seems like a bonehead move from MLB. Yeah, they just need to find a different solution. I don't I don't think this is it. And I don't understand how this is all of a sudden the like, this is where we're going to crack down moment, you know? Right. Um, transitioning to basketball, because I got to give the Kings a quick shout out. <laughs> they have finally put Tyrese Halliburton in the starting lineup. That is my guy. He should win rookie of the year. Besides Aaron Fox, probably the best player on the team, maybe the best player already. But they're 4-0 in their last four games, six out of the last seven. They won on a last-second three-pointer from Harrison Barnes last night after a full-court pass with 1.7 seconds left. They're tearing it up. They're killing it. That's my 15 seconds on the Kings. Um, but also, we had some awesome UFC fights this weekend. It was a rematch between Francis Naganu and Stipe, Stipe Miocic. Sorry for me to say these names. Uh, but Stipe was actually the favorite for the heavyweight uh, belt, and Naganu knocked him out in the second round. It was kind of painful to watch. Uh, but there's just a huge fight card. Tyron Woody lost his fourth fight in a row. That was kind of sad, but he's already 38, so maybe he should retire. Um, maybe he should retire. Fair, <laughs> it fair. Was, he was, if he was, looked like he was knocked out on his feet for maybe 15 to 20 seconds before he actually was knocked out. He was like bow legged, stumbling around, but then randomly throwing haymakers. And the third fight, actually, there was some controversy because Sean O'Malley um, had knocked down Thomas Almeida early in the fight and had kind of like walked it off, kind of pimped it like a bat flip almost. Um, but he, cause he got, he caught him flush with a kick and then another punch and he fell hard and it looked like he was out, but he got up Like the ref ran in to call it. And then he got up quickly. So he kind of backed off instead of like jumping on him and just, you know, ending it really quick with some follow-up shots. So uh, later in the fight, he knocked him down again. And instead of walking off now, he went in for the, the follow-up shot and he like Almeida kind of rolled over, so it looked like he might have been defending, but he was definitely not fully there. He was definitely kind of unconscious or something. And O'Malley landed a point blank, just hammered haymaker um, that definitely was not necessary. But the ref didn't call it, so it's not really his fault. And I understand why he didn't call it, but it was definitely some a beating that that guy probably shouldn't have taken. Um, so yeah, it's interesting loaded. to me that like refs' opinions have such a place in a sport where so much money is on the line it's so and such a fine line because obviously the number one thing is the health of these athletes but you also don't want to call it too early and have an athlete feel like you just ripped a a win away from them or the possibility of a win Uh, especially in a sport where you might only be fighting three or four times a year like it might be three months before you get back in the ring and you know you don't the ref does not want to be the guy that costs someone of a win you Um, sit with those losses a lot longer yeah, so it's a it's a fine line. I'm glad I'm not the one that has to ref these fights and decide it. But yeah, it was a loaded UFC night. Um, I'm trying to get into UFC. That's like the next. I think that's the next sport I'm gonna really try and understand. We'll get there. Trying. It's gonna it's take so, some time. To me, it's just so all inclusive of athleticism, right? Speed, coordination you're mixing in wrestling with striking with kicking, like you're combining like three or four different uh, MMA sports 
And then also it's, there's like that primal uh, aspect to it where, you know, like when you get choked out or you tap that if this was in the, uh, the real world, you probably would have died right there. This guy would have choked you out. This guy would have. So there's that aspect of it too. So it's definitely intriguing and requires a wide variety of skill sets. So I can appreciate the uh, preparation and talent that goes into it. Very interesting. I don't, I'm still on the, like, if you were out in the, in the real <laughs> world, this guy could choke you out moment. It's, it's yeah, it's crazy. It's, it, it's, uh, you know, if you lose a basketball game or you lose a baseball game, it's like, Oh, okay, whatever. Obviously it's not the best, but when you lose a UFC fight and you, you know, you tap because the guy's got you in chokehold and you're starting to lose consciousness or you get, you know, knocked out. It's that sort of primitive thing where like this guy just beat me. And if, the, if this wasn't a sport, it would, it would not be, uh, good news for me so i guess there's i never thought of it that way mind blown um in both of our worlds though baseball is back this week baseball is back yeah was it three more days two more days Toby day yeah it's coming in hot i'm so excited i can't wait i cannot wait for this season so i'm i'm looking forward to like some normalcy of some like mm-hmm. games going fans in the stands i think almost everyone is going to be allowing fans in the stands in some capacity it's going to be good i think i think by summer i'm hoping for like real real normalcy but uh quick take off the top of your head who's in the world series you're way too early prediction for who's in the world series who do i want to be in the world series or who do i think is going to be the world Series? you can do a want and uh and an actual Okay, if I said my want, you gotta throw the Giants in there. Um, I would say Giants, White Sox for my want, mm-hmm. and then I for my actual, what I think is gonna happen, I'll go White Sox, Dodgers. Okay, I would say for my want, I want Rays, Padres, mm-hmm. and I think for my actual, that it's gonna be Yankees, Padres. I think the Padres are gonna sneak in there. That would, they're I gonna i hope they give the dodgers a run for their money i guess we'll see what happens but yeah if the dodgers hey. are in it i obviously wouldn't be shocked but i do think the yankees are finally going to come out of the al i'm like over five with my predictions on this podcast so definitely we'll go with your answer i know we watched <laughs> uh or i said about oklahoma state and i was so excited and i watched the first half of our basketball oh, game yeah. and they looked horrible so i'm a very 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 superstitious person I went and got in the shower and did not watch the second half of the game. Oh. So I had to wash off the bad juju and then right. uh, we still lost. So apparently they just like never really got into a rhythm, but I kept saying, I was like, they haven't needed me all year. Why do I think they need me in the tournament? <laughs> hey, at least they got some wins. I picked San Diego state and they were out in the first round they got demolished by Syracuse. So <laughs> truly like truly wild March madness. So it's been crazy. UCLA won at the end of the day. They were I they saw. won a playing game to get into the tournament. And they're still going strong. Oregon State's at twelve. They're still in it. Oral yeah, Roberts that's who knocked almost, us out. <laughs> Which yeah. I will say that if you have not watched your school play all year, and you went to a black and orange OSU, and they are playing a black and orange OSU, <laughs> that's probably not the game to start watching because I was like, what color are we in? Oh man. I kept looking and I was like. Okay, there's Cade Cunningham. I know who we are now, but it was like 90 least, seconds of me like staring at the TV like, I have no idea. At least you're able to figure it out, though, right? And know something about it. Um, 
Cade's but expected trans- to be the number one overall pick, so you should take my sports card away if I didn't at least <laughs> recognize him. That's fair. Um, but transitioning to baseball, back or back to baseball, I know we got Tyler Ferguson on this episode. Um, Me too. Ferg was great. Yeah, he um, is thoughtful, which shouldn't surprise me. Like, I joke all the time about the Vandy boys that they're just like a different breed, but they really are a different breed. So he's thoughtful as a human, thoughtful as a baseball player. He told us a lot about his um, mental health journey and like Mm -hmm. the yips, which I hope give the people listening some context on the yips i think that if you've never gone through it it's something that's like really really difficult to grasp and understand so it was a conversation that meant a lot to me and yeah it's just very few people are willing to be that honest especially ferg's still a free agent right now so he doesn't Mm -hmm. have a team he's looking for one and for somebody who doesn't have that security blanket to still be so open and honest just like speaks to the kind of um, person he is and whoever does decide to sign him because it will happen he is going to find a team is going to get a very cerebral and talented pitcher so excited to see that happen a very talented pitcher who has had success on the field I think is in touch at least with his for lack of a better term shortcomings and how to address them and control them instead of denying it or dealing with it, not knowing how to deal with it when they show up. So yeah, Ferg's a great guy. I've been lucky enough to be part of his journey for the past year, year and a half. Um, Hard worker, fun to be around, elite stuff on the mound. Uh, Yeah, someone needs to take a chance on him and we'll obviously get more into it in the episode, but uh, I'm excited for these guys to hear more about Tyler Ferguson. We're here with Tyler Ferguson. Tyler, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? Good. And you're joining us from Fresno. Are you in Fresno? Sacramento. Sacramento. But you're from Fresno. Originally from Fresno, but live in Sacramento now. Okay. And is that where you played high school ball? I played in Fresno at Clovis West. Okay. Yeah, Coach. born and raised down there. I... Uh, my, the only thing I know about Fresno is that I'm a Texans fan and David Carr played at Fresno State and then mm-hmm. his little brother moved back or played at Fresno State too. So yep, that's there, the extent yeah. of my Fresno knowledge. Yeah, and, the, and the Fresno Grizzlies. And the Fresno Grizzlies. I prefer when they are the tacos. Yeah. I yeah. saw something today. They're doing taco, uh, like a taco fest every Wednesday or every Tuesday. That's what we like to hear. I saw them play in in Round Rock a few years ago, and they actually wore, like, the taco uh, jerseys one day. Yeah, and I died. Life made. So that's probably – that's up there for, like, favorite minor league name. I like the Trash Pandas a lot. I think the Baby Cakes is a ridiculous mascot. But Tacos is probably the most sensible of all of them, especially as a Texan. So – um, you obviously had a successful high school career in Fresno because you ended up at Vanderbilt and people don't just end up at Vanderbilt to play baseball. Yeah. So what, who else were you recruited by when that letter comes in the mail where you talk to course for the first time? Is it just like, yeah, this is it. No one else is even close. Well, luckily I 
luckily I was right on the verge of where recruiting is at today, where you get recruited really, really early. Um, I got recruited late. I didn't pitch my sophomore year of high school. Junior year, I started to get recruited um, during season. Long Beach State was the first school that was on me that I really liked. And then that summer between junior and senior year, we're like, a lot of people already committed. Luckily, I was kind of, that's kind of when I started to get more attention and started to get recruited a, lot, a little bit harder. Um, went to the Stanford camp because I grew up wanting to go to Stanford and went there my sophomore year, after my sophomore year, topped out at about 85, 86. And it was like, you're not like, you got, you know, you got no chance. I started, you know, you get recruiters from like Air Force or some Ivy school, something like that. That's like a little bit um, lower level than I was hoping. But Were you as into- tall then as you are now? Cause you're six, four, right? Yeah. Six, four. But at the time I probably weighed 175 pounds and okay. by the, by season sophomore year, I would weigh, I was, you know, six, three, six, four, two, 200, 205. So I put on a lot of weight, which increased, I went from throwing, you know, 85 to topping out at 91, 92. So I had a good junior year that summer played at, you know, the Stanford camp area codes, um, North South games, and kind of got some exposure there. And it's actually funny. Cause I, pitched I only showed up one day at area codes because I had shingles so <laughs> yeah I had shingles at 17 years old which is which crazy. is like the most painful thing ever yeah, I had it on my face too left side of my oh, face so my gosh so it's okay shingles are chicken pox dormant in your body basically and they come right. out from from stress I guess and usually it's 55 plus so I went to the hospital like three days straight like what's going on they finally figured it out and it's area codes. And I'm like stressed out because I want to throw, like I need to throw in front right. of two teams. Stayed in a hospital or in the uh, hotel for three days. Um, felt good enough to go play catch. Like the day, be- the day before the last day, I was like, okay, I'm good to go through the last day, through two innings, gave up one hit. Luckily, Corbs is there. Um, you know, UCLA was another school I wanted to go. They were there. They never called me after that day. <laughs> it was like a good day. Um, but it was also right at the time where Vandy was becoming Vandy. Like yeah. two, 2011, they'd gone to the College World Series. So Corbs called me and I honestly, and this is before college baseball became how big it is today. Right. But um, he called me. And I didn't really know what Vanderbilt was. You know, he left a voicemail that said, hey, Tim Corbin, um, Vanderbilt and Nashville, would do some research and give me a call back. And that's the Corbin way is like, do a little research, figure out who we are, and then call me back. Um, and so, you know, started talking to him a little bit and then actually went on all five recruiting visits my senior year, took advantage of that, which was awesome. Um, went to University of Tennessee because Serrano had moved from Cal State Fullerton out to there, uh, Vandy, Stanford, UC Santa Barbara, and Oregon. So it was... Oh, you picked gorgeous campuses across the board gorgeous campuses and it was pretty much like pitching coach driven like right. all of them had quality pitching coaches and that was kind of like the main focus that's pretty yeah I uh I don't blame you for wanting to go to Stanford I got to see it for the first time a year two years ago maybe I ended up uh I spent quite a bit of time in San Jose and I ended up going out to Palo Alto and I was like I understand why anyone that walks on this campus wants to go here. It's stunning. The Vanderbilt campus is really cool too, because it's in the, it's like in the city, but 
still has its like college campus feel. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, what was the like tipping point that ended up pushing you towards Vanderbilt then? Honestly, it was my, like the recruiting visit was like my mom went on me with all, to all my recruiting visits and we both kind of just left there and we're like, this is the spot. Like after spending a couple of days with Corbin, a couple of days with Derek Johnson and Holland and uh, Josh Holiday, like the coaching staff was amazing. The direction they were going was like amazing. Getting out of California and going to Nashville was like scary and exciting. So it was just kind of like the perfect mix. I love that you just said Josh Holiday. I am not wearing the usual sweatshirt that I record in, but I went to Oklahoma State. And he's back there and he's doing yeah. great things for our program right now. So yeah, my cousin actually played uh, two, he played there for two years out of Juco. So he got, is to go it there sad that he didn't get the new stadium, the stadium that they've been promising since. So I live in Lubbock and the pitching coach here at Texas tech, I think played for Oklahoma state, like in 2007, mm-hmm. he was there before I was there. And I asked him, they were going to play, in Stillwater that year before coronavirus shut everything down. And I was like, excited to see O'Bray. And he was like, they've been promising that stadium since I went on my recruiting vision or visit in 2007. And I was like, tight. Well, it's finally built. Yeah. I, I, yeah. He sent me some stuff about it and it's amazing, but I I think that's every program. Every program is always promising something and it's always a few years late. (laughs) Right. So was DJ there your freshman year? Or he was only there he... my freshman fall. Okay. And then you guys got Scott Brown. Then we got Scott Brown. Yeah. We got Brownie. That's a pretty, that's a pretty smooth pitching coach transition. Absolutely. You can't ask yeah. for two better minds. Yeah. He went from really, really good to really, really good. So it was like, it was when we first find out it was pretty disappointing because like right. DJ was a huge reason why I went there. Um, so that was like a little bit of a shock, but it worked out great. It's not like yeah, we were I, downgrading. I got to listen to a press. I went to pitch Palooza in 2019 and I got to listen to him and Caleb Coughlin give a presentation and he is so good at condensing such complicated information to like not only bite-sized chunks, but like digestible chunks. D- DJ? Yeah. DJ? Yeah. He, his, his philosophy was very, very simple. Yeah. Um, it was a little more um, structured than Brownies. Like kind of everyone was a little more on the same program, but he was like, he was one of those person that like, I'm not going to say much, but when I say something, it's really going to mean something. Like yeah, it's really it's gonna something matter. you want to listen to. Yeah. That's kind of what, so they gave a presentation on, um, I want to say it was like how they pitch design like how they decide what they're going to like slide into a pitch arsenal which is something that I'm super interested in things we did at driveline but uh kind of the way that they explained it I was like wow I would like to take that presentation with me and explain it to everyone that way because how how did they how did they explain it or like what I'm trying to remember they used a uh they used a flow chart. So it ended up being like an entire circle. And I'm trying to remember, I wish I had the presentation in front of me right now. And I'm trying to remember exactly what he did, but the way they did it, it was just like 
I guess I've never thought of like pitch design as like a complete circle, right? Like you think of it as, or I've always thought of it as like a puzzle with a piece missing, right? Yeah, Where you're like, like a straight line. Yeah. Or, or even like, I guess I kind of think of it as like a square almost, or maybe, yeah. And that like, you know, someone's clearly missing something or we're missing something that's like taking the efficiency away, mm-hmm. but the way that he designed it was like in a circle and they were like, okay, we start here and we like hypothesize that we need this pitch. And then we go in and we design what we want it to look like. Then we try to implement it. And then we start back here and see how we can improve everything else. And so it was like more of a flow chart. I was like, wow, that makes a lot more sense than trying to like create this random puzzle piece to fit in. Yeah, that makes sense. Cause a couple of years ago, uh, at spring training Vandy usually goes out to Arizona now for the first opening yeah. and so I sat there and talked I was talking to Caleb for a couple innings and we were talking about how Trevor developed his changeup, and it was like <laughs> basically that scenario where it's like okay let's go look at all these change-ups which change-up like what profile am I looking for he found the profile studied it then he's like started to videotape every throw he did with it until it came off right figured that out, then tried to replicate that as much as he could. And then he finally got to the, like it was, and then he finally got to the mound and like, it was just incredible. Like, like the process that he went through and he's done it with, I don't know, five, six pitches now. So like, yeah, (laughs) he's got them all. Um, Trevor's created a very interesting arsenal. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's that same sort of flow of like, how like I'm sure Caleb had some implementation on how Trevor went about it or they had some collaboration on and that's kind of that same like circular flow process I know I joked with you before we got on here about like the Vandy boys cult I uh I mean that as affectionately as you can possibly mean it but you guys do it's like it's a, a very special fraternity and I I don't know obviously about guys that played further back but everyone that's played under Corbs and then DJ and Brownie Uh, especially you pitchers you just like find each other in a room like magnets but when you get to sit in the middle of you guys and hear you talk I think you really start to appreciate what DJ implemented at Vanderbilt and what Brownie has continued to Mm -hmm. grow and expand on because if we could have pitchers come in with the Vanderbilt mindset (laughs) a lot of work would be a lot quicker to be done you know um I think Trevor kind of has that like same mindset that you guys tend to have but we're big fans of Casey on this podcast he gets a lot of shout outs big fans of Caleb on this podcast but yeah, yeah. you guys just are a different breed think yeah, a lot they, differently I mean those guys are both incredibly smart at what they do and I think yeah the vanity culture is like when I showed up at Vandy there's 18 pitchers and honestly, they were all better than me. Like, you know, like that's the kind of culture you go into is like the guys are all really good and everyone's trying to figure out how to be better. So it's not like, I think it's tells you about a pitching coach is like, can they make a really, really good pitcher even better? Like people always have knocked on DJ or Brownie and like they recruit the best pitchers, but yeah, yes. But can they make the best high school pitchers, the best pitchers and the first rounders that they need to be like more polished? And that's what you've seen with both of them have been able to do over the last 10, 15 years. So I think that's just a testament to them. Oh, yeah. And I think it's a testament how prepared Vandermilk pitchers come out of Vandy for 
pro ball. And I'm not talking about in the sense of like quickly making it to the big leagues, but it just seems that that transitions a lot easier that you guys slip into that culture faster that you, you take direction better. I don't, I don't know how to verbalize what I'm trying to say there, but it's just a, a very smooth transition. And obviously you did figure it out because you started four games your freshman year. Yeah. So I, yeah, Walker ended up not being able to start for, I think he started on the midweek games at first and then wasn't able to start. And I ended up starting like four straight and did all right. Never pitched. I think those are most of my innings for the freshman year. Didn't mm-hmm. pitch in any SEC games, but we also went 26 and three in the SEC that year. It was just a ridiculous team. Um, I mean, you guys had so, a pretty damn good rot- rotation. Yeah, freshman year was uh, Kevin Zomack, Tyler Beatty. I don't remember who started on Sundays, but it was probably an older, older guy or something. We had a, three seniors in the outfield that year, which was pretty unheard of at Vandy. But you had. Mikey Shrimpsky in right, Connor Harrell in center, who played up at the double A, and then Jack Lupo in left, who was just a utility player that did everything right that you needed to. Mike's having a hell of a career out in San Francisco. Finally, he's, finally got his opportunity. I mean, he's a lot of fun to watch. And he is another guy that just, I mean, I guess you, I keep going back to that. Like the bandy guys just do it right. And I guess yeah. that's like part of the culture that's instilled in you. I, um, we're going to talk about your sophomore year in one second, because obviously that was a fantastic standout year for you and the team as a whole. But we've talked about Corbin and Brown. I want to read something really cool Vanderbilt does is Corbin gives a quote on each of you in your actual player profile. And yeah. Rice used to do this too, but Wayne Graham's quotes were like one sentence and you were New like... Kid. yeah does even know who he's actually talking about and corpse quotes are are not they're like very in-depth so he said about you tyler's very invested young man he is serious about everything that he does academically and athletically because of that he's a high achiever he is most enjoyable to coach because he is self-driven in every way he's a great arm and continues to become more skilled tyler has been a mainstay on our pitching staff since his freshman year and will once again hold a very key role for us this year those are big words from a big man. What's it like playing with a coach like that that just obviously respects the guys that he has in his clubhouse? I think I think the best way to explain Corbs is like he's really tough. He is extremely tough, but he's the guy that you will run through a wall for. Right. Like it's this he's going to push you. He's got, he knows how to he knows how to push everybody differently. Like he'll push some guys where he he'll yell at them a little bit more because he knows that's what they need, but then he'll come and like put his arm around them. And there's other guys where he won't really like, he won't yell at them as much. He won't push them in that way, but he'll do something else. So his way of just like evolving as a coach, like I saw it over those three years was like how much more individualized player to player, like how much he's grown as a coach. And I it's continued. Um, But yeah, he's just a guy that, he pushes you to be the best version of yourself. And I think he recruits those kind of guys that are looking to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, he's just an amazing guy to play for it. Love him to death. I, I would say, I think that's huge because I've definitely obviously didn't play the level you played at, but have had certain teammates that need that where they need that 
kind of light a fire under their ass to let them, you know, get them up for a game or to keep them in check while other guys, like, they kind of shut down if you yell at them. And a lot of coaches kind of have their style and they stick with it. But as, you know, Kate mentioned, the it's kind of a testament of how all these pitchers come out ready for Pro Bowl. All these pitchers have so much success at Vandy, even though they might have been coached different. So his ability to kind of change the way he coaches from player to player from moment to moment is huge. I don't think a lot of uh, coaches uh, are doing. Yeah. I don't think it was something he did very well early in his career from the stories you get from like Casey or Caleb and Price. Like he was a hard out back in the day. And he yeah. kind of like, we always joke that he was getting softer. He's getting softer, but really he was just evolving as a coach and like being more mindful of different things, like how he coaches each player individually. Well, that's like our favorite quote is adapt or die, right? Like you got to be adaptable or you're going to get run out. And so even though I have heard the Hardo stories from back in the old Vandy days, he, uh, I think it's a true testament to him, how long he's been there and how successful the program continues to be, you know, uh, Vanderbilt baseball, I would say is the crown jewel of Vanderbilt athletics. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's funny, you go to the campus and like you see the football stadium and it's big, of course, it's a football stadium, but then you like look right past it and you guys share like a wall with the football stadium. And yeah. then the baseball stadium is just like gleaming, beautiful. It's beautiful. New. Yeah. Yeah. It's a truly tremendous field. Um, yeah. I saw Vanderbilt and LSU play there a couple years ago in the rain we were in nashville for a wedding and my parents were not very happy that i uh revolved my whole trip around that series <laughs> yeah that, those are fun series we did that my freshman year and it was tyler tyler Beatty versus aaron nola i think that actually that was sophomore year sophomore year friday okay. night yeah that was a fun that was a fun one what a matchup yeah. and then we just talked about playing for Corbs and you kind of hinted at playing for Brown. Like how would you describe Brown as a coach for you and the impact that he had on you? He was always trying to figure out how to make every pitcher the best they could be. Like it was at a point where technology and driveline and all these things were coming on and he was so open to trying it and figuring out like he was like a mad scientist in his own way like yeah how what does this player need what does this player need it was so and it was so much more individualized than like dj was a little bit more of like okay everyone like you're throwing at least 150 feet today or you're long tossing it and you're tracking as far as you can where brownie was like okay maybe that's right for you but that might not be right for you and so it was a lot more individualized he was always just questioning the right way to do things. What's the best way to do it? Like just a real, like thoughtful, creative pitching coach. Like, I think that's the best way to do it. Like describe him. Yeah. He was one of the early adopters of driveline. Like mm-hmm. maybe I don't want to say for sure, because this was before I was there, but I think he might've been like the first big program that like just bought in and was like, yep, we're, we're doing this. Our guys are doing this yeah. and it makes sense. Yeah. Kyle, uh, I remember Kyle came and had, it might've been sophomore year, sophomore fall. Cause price was there like trying to learn more. Uh, Mike Miner was there trying to learn more. He was coming off some shoulder stuff with the Braves. Um, and Kyle was there down in the lab with, uh, those guys in Brownie, just like 
trying to understand it. So yeah, he was definitely an early adopter, but he wasn't like, okay, everyone needs to do this full blown program. He's like, what do you like about right. this? You know, like it's, here's all this information that driveline is getting us, but how do I make this best for each person still? It wasn't uh, like black and white, like yes or no. And I think that's important because I think a lot of people assume that it is such a clear cut program. And overall, if you're like new, doing the whole thing like makes sense, you're trying to gain velocity. But as you continue, there are components of it that make more sense for more people because everyone has different weaknesses and things that you can scrap. So I like hearing that. I've always liked Brownie a lot. So none of this feels like new information, but yeah. Okay. Sophomore year, you guys win the national championship. Let's just talk about who was on that team for a second. Uh, Dansby Swanson, Walker Bueller, Tyler Beatty, Carson Fulmer. Could you have asked for a more stacked college baseball team? No, no. I mean, you also had Brian Reynolds, uh, You've had you have a bunch of other guys that have played double A or higher. You like, had Tyler Ferguson. Yeah, Tyler Ferguson. Um, so yeah, I mean that was so that team wasn't as like dominant as my freshman year or sophomore or junior team. Those teams were both a little more uh, a little more consistent, I'd say. But it was a team that was extremely talented. Uh, we had our plenty of ups and downs throughout the year. Like I think we went a little over five hundred in the SEC play. We um, beat Tennessee in the SEC tournament we beat Tennessee by one run then we got 10 run ruled by LSU and beat by like eight by Old Miss like we weren't like this perfect team which I think helped us down the stretch was we kind of put it together at the at the right moment and played really good baseball for the last month month and a half and that was it was fun to be a part of for sure I think that's true for most teams like if you look at the Dodgers specifically over the last few years like on paper the Dodgers should have dominated the last five world series and should dominate the next five world series yeah but that's a team that's gone through adversity and I think that's what finally allowed them to put it together against a a very good race team I was there for game six I was very bitter in the stands (laughs) when they (laughs) presented the trophy and when Blake Snell got pulled out I thought I was going to pull all of my hair out of my head that's fine yeah that was that was tough did you read his player tribute i did we actually uh we talked about it in the podcast from last week but i i appreciate the honesty i understood it i also talked about it from like the aspect where uh i heard glass now say in an interview that like he hadn't gone past six in any game so like not that he was like i don't know why he was surprised but he was like we all kind of expected it type thing so i didn't read the whole thing but I definitely, I caught, I read, like, I kind of skimmed through it a little bit and I thought it was interesting for sure. Yeah, definitely. I thought it was, I like that he mentioned, like, I would love to tell you that like seeing Anderson up in the pen didn't get in my head, but like it did. And then, so for me, we were talking about this, like the analytics side of it, like the, the analytics of the Rays you say pool Snell six inning. Okay, great. Analytics should have also told you not to put in a righty against the next three hitters. So I'm just like, of all the people in the bullpen, you pull out this exhausted right-hander. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Exhausted right-hander that wasn't, wasn't his best self at the time. So yeah, it's really frustrating. And he was, he was spectacular for so much of the season, but that team 
rode that bullpen very, very hard. They're a talented bullpen, but that was rough. Uh, I got stuck in Dallas on a layover and I was at the game and I was, he came out, my sister like nudged me, was like, cash is coming out. I was like, there's no way. And I looked out and I was like, okay, they're going to pull Snell. This is fun. (laughs) But um, so kind of walk us through. So you guys had the adversity you put it all together. What What is winning a college World Series like? Because that tournament is exhausting. You're playing in one of the hottest parts of the country, in one of the hottest times of the year. Yeah. And that tournament's not designed for rest. Like, It's long. Yeah, we were there for two weeks. And you play, I don't know, the college schedule. So you don't play every day, but you play five. We played at least like eight games probably over two weeks so I mean it's, yeah. it's a lot and it is hot it is crazy hot there but it's just a uh, that atmosphere is so fun because you're playing in front of 20,000 people it's it's pretty neutral for the most part unless you got like Mississippi State or some crazy fan base that's travels 20, travels well yeah yeah uh winning was the most surreal moment because you were in the bullpen and you open up the gate and there's fireworks going off and you're just like so excited and so happy. And it's, it doesn't really hit you in the moment. I don't know. It's one of those things where you think back, you're like, wow, that is, I can't believe we did that. Like not many people ever win something like that important, that, that prestigious. So right, it's one of those moments and I will always remember just running in and just like staring at the fireworks and just trying to beat everyone to the pile. So I wasn't the last guy on top, <laughs> but yeah. It was, but you also it don't want to be the guy close to the bottom. Exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> that's the look. That's the good part about being in the bullpen. You don't have that option. <laughs> I've but always yeah, thought it, about that when you see guys like piling on top of each other, I'm like, Oh, let's not break anyone's arm. Please, please, please. Yeah. Like, 25 30 guys piling on top of each other it gets pretty heavy if you're at the bottom of it yeah when when would you say was the moment when it did hit you was it like when you got back home when you got I'm assuming there was a celebration at Vanderbilt like when when did it sink in like oh shit we just won a national championship I think part of it hits like the next fall when you get back to reality like it's so fun in that moment of like you're playing important games, you're playing in front of a ton of people. And then come the next fall, it's like, you're back on the upper turf running gassers and it's 110 in Nashville. And you're like, man, I just want to be back in that moment. Like that moment was so nice. And like, I think that's kind of when it hits you. It was like a little bit later and you're kind of back in the more reality of things of like, it takes all of this to get there. Yeah. Is that when you're like, your motivation to get through gassers is like, I want that feeling again. Or are you thinking like, I just won a national championship for you. Can we not run these? I think it's a little bit of both. Cause you're like, okay, we need to do this. Like we need to like push ourselves, but you're also like, do we really need to push ourselves in this way? Like, you know, do we really need to be running right now? I always tell people I was a competitive swimmer and the worst day of your life is when you're like walking out of the pool after a hard practice and your coach is like, Hey, don't forget tennis shoes for tomorrow. And you're like, Oh, I do not want to run down the bayou hard pass, please. Yeah. So you do the next fall and then we get into your junior year, which um, was not the same story as your sophomore year for you. Yeah. I didn't really talk about my, 
performance uh, sophomore year. But yes, I was Sunday starter on sophomore year. And so I actually beat out Walker and Carson to start the year um, as a starter because we went. No big deal. Uh, yeah. I like to, I always like to drop that still. Like beat them <laughs> out. Because uh, it was Tyler Beatty Friday, Jared Miller on Saturday because we went right, left, right. And so it was me on Sunday and had a really good year. Um, it was kind of like the Sunday stopper. My goal was to get five five innings in basically and keep the lead because we usually were going to score. And then we turned it over to the bullpen because we usually had fresh arms. Um, so then junior comes around, had a good fall, um, but the season was different. Uh, got the yips basically. I, I, not basically, I had the yips. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a struggle. I threw 20 innings and walked 35 guys and it wasn't fun. Uh, started the first Sunday of the year against uh, Santa Clara and it's like 18 degrees out. Didn't really have a ton of confidence at the time and trying to throw a baseball at 18 degrees and it's freezing and your hands frozen. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't have confidence in, in the first place and then you can't really feel your hands. So you're just kind of, it's just kind of spraying balls all over the place and hoping it was near the strike zone. <laughs> oh man. I think that's something too, that people like don't realize is that if you, if you don't have that feel of the ball in your hand, like you don't have the feel mentally and then you've lost the feel physically. Yeah. So did you keep starting after that? Was that kind of like a, uh, like Corbs was like, okay, we get it. It's 18 degrees. Or was it like, no, we know something's going on. Let's pull you back. I think I might've started the next week as well and gone two or three innings and struggled. Um, and then that was the point where we, I got pulled out of a starting role and, kind of like took a step back and like, okay, can we get, can we restart? Can we start over and try to like build some confidence and like get an inning here and there? So it was, it wasn't after the first one, but it might've been after the second one, I think. Okay. And then we're going to move on from your junior year. Cause I want to talk about the yips and professional ball too. You still got drafted in the sixth round in 2015 by the Rangers, which is no small mm-hmm. accomplishment. So yeah. that speaks to your success of your sophomore year the body of work that you put together at Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. you had injuries and you had yips and this is something that I like I know people don't like to talk about but I like to talk about because it humanizes the pitching aspect of things how difficult is that and what are you trying to do as a player to get yourself out of it so many things (laughs) because I think people like it's a loaded question it's a loaded question like people are like, when was the moment that you like figured it out? And I'm like, well, that's way too simple of a qu- question right. for like the most complex thing ever. Because I don't think people really comprehend the yips. Like it's hard to explain. It's like for 20 years of my life, I picked up a baseball and threw it and it was, you know, I, I knew what I was doing. Yeah. And then it gets to this point where I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know where my body is. I'm searching for a, like the feel of the ball. Like, like, is it like just mental? Is it just physical? Is it physical? Like, where's that like mind body balance? And so it was just like a, it's just such a long process of building up confidence, building up, building up that feeling of like, I know what I'm doing. I ha- I can do like, I can throw a baseball and not be so worried all the time. Well, and what I think is so difficult for people to understand is that baseball is a game of constant feedback. 
And so if you are struggling as a pitcher and you have the yips and you're trying to claw your way out of it, and like you said, you don't know what it is. Is it mental? Is it physical? You're trying to figure it out. And the way you figure it out is by, by throwing a baseball to, to hitters yeah. or in front of your coach. And if it's shitty, that doesn't feel good. You're never getting that positive feedback that pulls you out of it. Yeah, exactly. Like you would, I would have moments where, you know, things would be kind of smooth and it would like be synced up and everything would be going well, but they were very fleeting. They would like, it, it would take one bad throw and you kind of spiral down the hill. And I think that's the, the hard part is like, no matter how much you, you take one step, two steps forward, you take a step back. You take two steps forward, you take two steps back. And it was like, that was kind of like the, the process for a couple of years, honestly. Like I got drafted in the Rangers and I think I, I was able to make success, but it was always an overarching thing of like, are the yips going to come back? Are the yips going to come right. back? And um, I had, I had moments of success with them, but a lot of moments of failure. Like when I got drafted, I mean, going and playing catch and just like you're a six rounder you're supposed to be good and you're spiking balls you're throwing them over the back like over the net like like just literally spraying the ball and it's just like that even brings more more like embarrassment and focus on yourself because you're like an anxiety yeah an anxiety like I I mean you're you go into such a protection mode that you don't really fully comprehend it. Like your body, just your mind. I mean, I've worked with um, a psychologist and it's been great and very helpful, but like he explains like, even though you might not actually like realize it, your mind has gone into this protection mode. Right. Like you're, you're like, whether it's from the embarrassment, uh, the stress and anxiety, like your body's just naturally going to try to protect it yourself. So you're like trying to get the moment over as fast as you, you can. You can. So by failing really, really bad, really, really fast, you can get out of that moment really fast. So like your body basically won't let you have success because you're going to be in that moment where you could be embarrassed at some point, you know? So like, that's a really complicated thing to kind of like fully comprehend, but like your, your mind makes you fail harder because you can get out of that moment faster. It's the same thing with injuries that your mind protects you. It doesn't want to feel pain. So a lot of guys that when you see them will be like, oh no, I have great, I have great mobility. Then you look at them and you're like, okay, well, you're not, you're not moving past this point. And they're like, oh no, but I feel fine. You're like, no, you feel fine because your brain is telling you like, this is as far back as you can go. And this is not normal. Yes. Yeah, and here. so, but it's the same thing mentally for you. Exactly. Exactly. And it was, so did, uh, did you work with the psychologist while you were still with the Rangers? Was that something like you went to the Rangers and you were like, I need someone, or did that come after the Rangers released you? No, that's, that's a lot more really recent as in like this last few months. Um, okay. It's his name's Armando. And the reason I got connected was he's, he works with Dansby and Dansby's like, Hey, I got this awesome guy. You should work with him. He actually lives in Sacramento. I was like, brain spotting oh. guy. Yeah. Brain spotting. It is hey. brain spotting, which is uh, a little newer edge, I think, of psychology. And it's really, it's not always fun when I go, but it's always really helpful. Um, so when I was with the Rangers, I worked with the mental health coach they had, like the mental coach they had there. But a lot of what you, at least in the past, what you got in pro ball was like, 
is breathing. Like you have to focus on your breathing. You have to feel confident. Like it's pretty generic BS in my opinion. Like, yeah, they're not employing an actual mental health professional. Exactly. And like, you'll never be able to focus on that stuff or do that if you're in this protection mode that I was in. Like, right. how am I supposed to go out and try to perform when I'm in my body's gonna, or my mind and my body are kind of going to shut down? I'm supposed to be like, oh, if I just take a deep breath and I just like slow things down, like things are all of a sudden going to get better. Like, it's not going to work that way. Like that, that is great stuff, but not if you're in like this hole that I was in, because you can't just dig yourself out with like a little bit of breathing and feel confident. We see it a lot on just like the physical side too, like the same sort of, uh, philosophy where if a coach tells a kid to get into a certain position but he doesn't have the mobility to get in that position no matter how hard he tries it's not going to work so yeah. same sort of thing where it's like as much or as they'll you're take a shitty down, path there because they don't know yeah exactly. so as much as you're trying to you know take a deep breath or feel confident if your brain is not allowing yourself to, to do those things or to have the success um i know that we've for actually discussed cips in depth before and i've dealt with them in my career too and had outings where I'd strike two guys out and then all of a sudden throw a ball six feet to the left of home plate and have no idea what happened. A lot of people know that baseball is so mental to have that. How does that wear on you mentally where, you know, a year or two prior to that, you were beating out guys that are now the best pitchers in the big leagues as, and you were the guy on that team and you were having success after success after success. And then you're doing the same exact thing. And it's just not happening anymore. How mentally taxing is that? It's hard. I mean, I, it's one of those things where like, I think I've had to come to grips with like everyone's journey in baseball is different. And like, no, right. and you hear so many success stories of like, you know, Dansby, he spent like a year in the minor leagues and he's been in the big leagues or like Walker had like two years. And like, you hear all these stories about guys going straight to the big leagues, but you don't always hear you hear the stories, but they're not as prevalent of like, uh, I think it was Nick Anderson with the Blue Jay or the Rays who I think he was an in indie ball a couple years ago. Like, so I think I had to come to grips over the years of like, my journey is going to be different. Like if I get to the big leagues, it's going to be an awesome story. Like when I get to the big leagues, it's going to be an awesome story because it was yips, injuries. We went this way that like the path was so far indie ball. From straight indie ball, like, I am COVID so glad you just changed your wording and said, when you get to the big leagues, because words yeah. are powerful. Absolutely. Like I, I, I truly believe I can pitch in the big leagues. It's a matter of going out, getting the opportunities and performing when I get them. Like it's, it's as simple as that. Like I throw well, hard. I have good breaking stuff. I can do it. It's about getting opportunities and going out and performing. You had success with those guys that are at the big league levels and you definitely have the physical ability. And as we've definitely seen in the facility lately, like you've been mowing guys down. So it's definitely there physically. It's definitely, I think it's going to happen. So that's yeah. all I got to say about that. But yeah, it's, it's, there were definitely moments of like some depression and frustration of like, should I just give up, you know, Be, like throughout the, the journey of the yips especially when you see like all these guys having success and you're like, I should be at that level, but I'm, you know, this guy's pitching the big leagues and I just got released. Like, and I was, I'm just as good as that person. Like, and you know, you know, because you've been side by side with them. Yeah. I can't imagine. I think that's been the hardest thing for me with guys that we, um, 
there are guys that we've had in the facility who I have wanted to succeed more than anyone. There's a person all three of us know that didn't make the big leagues and it kills me. Like even just one, one outing, that's all I wanted. You know, you just want to be able to say that they made it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad you're not giving up. I'm glad that's still on the table. Yeah. I do got to ask, did you, did you actually do brain spotting? Have I? Yeah. Yeah. I've done it like four times. Do you want to give us just a brief description of what that's like? So brain spotting is basically you're talking with a, a therapist but they use a tool, a little pointer. It's like a little red dot at the end of this like stick and you kind of move it around. You have a, some sort of topic you're going to go with. So sometimes we go with like, we're going to attack some negative feelings or we're going to attack some positive feelings or we're going to talk like, think about a positive moment or a negative moment. So you have like all these different avenues. So we've kind of gone through each one, but you'll pick one and you'll, he'll put this like red dot and he'll kind of move it around. And you kind of just like, let yourself feel you're like, is it stronger or weaker here? And he'll move it around to like, okay, that's the strongest point. And you kind of just stare at it and you kind of like, well, like think about whatever you're wanting to think about at that time, whether it's like, like one day was one day we did positive, like uh, success in the past. And it was, you kind of just stare at it and you're kind of thinking about these moments and trying to make the, have those feelings again and like create those neural connections and get them firing again. And he'll like walk you through asking questions like, and um, it's like an at least an hour of just like kind of going through these, like bringing up all these positive moments, um, positive feelings, like remembering the different successes I've had in the past. And like, I'm not gonna, I'm not lying. My head hurt. Like my head hurts after I go because like, especially the positive moment one was like, I was remembering like moments of within games of my sophomore year where I was having all this success that I hadn't thought about in years. Like, and like my brain was just like firing left and right, like bringing up all these moments. And it was such an awesome feeling. And, you know, when I've gone through some of those negative times doing it, like those aren't as fun, but my brain still hurts because I'm like working through all those pains of like being embarrassed and um, trying to protect myself. But it's really would you, say, enlightening. would you say embarrassment is, and I say this, um, so I have obsessive compulsive disorder. So I'm like real on talking about mental health awareness. There's no shame in going to therapy. It's completely changed my life. I would be an insufferable person to be around if it wasn't. Um, would you say that embarrassment is like your biggest trigger? Because I, fi- I find it's mine. When I'm embarrassed, I spiral. Yeah, I think. I think embarrassment probably is because I think that's the word that's come up the most is mm-hmm. like, because embarrassment can come in so many ways. It's like embarrassment right. can be failing on one throw and like th- make looking like an idiot. Like you don't know what you're doing when you're throwing a baseball. Embarrassment can come in like seeing, like doing something stupid in front of someone. Like it's, a, I think embarrassment is very internalized view of how other people are seeing you yeah so you do something you're embarrassed because you think someone's perceiving that as like oh you're stupid or you don't know what you're doing or something so it's like I think yeah I mean in long story short I think embarrassing like embarrassment is uh my biggest like 
protection uh, feeling, like trying to avoid. That's where I, mine is, um, I like to feel like I'm in control, obviously, OCD. Um, And when I feel like I, when I feel like I'm out of control, I start to lose my personality or a part of my personality that I'm not proud of comes out. And when that starts happening, I feel like other people are perceiving that I'm losing control. And then Mm -hmm. I spiral into that embarrassment. And it is, it's the hardest thing for me to pull back out of. And I usually have to like remove myself from a situation. Then you apologize a thousand times afterwards and you feel bad, but no, I love that you're so open about talking about the therapy program that you've gone through, because I think it's really important. And I think more baseball players would have more success if they actually sought out actual mental health counselors. And I think major league baseball as a whole does a really poor job of utilizing that. They do have mental coaches um, and there are great ones. I have a friend that's a mental coach for the blue Jays. He's wonderful, but he's not a licensed counselor, you know? Yeah. I think if I could push towards one thing was like, like in the professional realm would be like, it's okay to not necessarily have like a licensed person. Maybe they should be licensed, but they, they try to fix stuff with very simple things where like they don't really actually get into the issues. And I think it's a very tough situation because you're not going to go talk to a mental health coach and tell them your deepest, darkest secrets. If you think they're going to talk to the front office about it. Right. Like, I'm not going to go tell, you know, that guy I'm embarrassed when I touch a baseball right now, because that's going to get to somebody. I, at least I believe, or I have the hesitation that that might get to somebody else. So how am I supposed to really severely affect your career? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's a tough, that's a tough situation. And I don't have an answer for it, but I agree. I think there's some good ones out there, but I think you got to really, I think players need to be more open to like sharing their issues with someone and actually diving into those. Like that's just good for everybody. Like you said. Well, it starts with people like you having conversations like this, you know, the more transparent people are about their struggles, the less taboo they become. So, um, you get released, you obviously end up at OA, you know, Casey, he was a partial owner or half owner at OA at the time, do a lot of work there. You go play indie ball in Canada all of that comes around. You get a spring training invite from the Dodgers. You're obviously shoving at OA. I've seen your stuff. You look great. I'm not just saying that. Lucas will tell you I don't just randomly compliment people without cause. And then Walker Bueller actually puts in a good word for you. So that comes yep. full circle. Yeah. You beat him out and the guy still vouches for you. What a dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah, he saw the the post that Lucas put out and sent it to the front office and said, give this guy a shot at basically. Um, and I was lucky enough that they did. And so it was nice getting to go to spring training with the Dodgers and be in that organization because they're phenomenal top to bottom. Right. What they do is, is awesome. Um, and yeah, Vanderbilt Colt coming in clutch there. <laughs> and Rob <laughs> the Hill's Vander- over there too. I love that you're yeah. taking the Vandy Colt. Uh, yeah. You got, there's Vanderbilt everywhere and, professional baseball now it's crazy it is and it's beautiful like i said that you it's the type of culture you want to seep everywhere like at least it's not a toxic culture that's just like spreading like ants outwards but so you make a couple of starts in spring training 
and then COVID hits and we've talked about mentally the yips. How hard is it to be like, wow, I'm, I'm good. Like I'm feeling it. I have this opportunity with this organization that's fantastic. And then this thing that none of us saw coming just rips the rug out from underneath you. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointing to say the least because yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got, I was lucky enough to be able to go to spring training when the big leaders went. I was in JIT camp, just in case camp. So, um, and they send over tons of guys, especially early in spring training. So got to pitch in the first game of spring training last uh, yeah, last year for the Dodgers. And part of the reason I got to do it was like, hey, make sure you guys go introduce yourself to like Dave Roberts. So I like had lunch and I walked in his office and talked to him for like two minutes. And he's like, hey, I'll try to get you in there. And I was like, okay, like we have to cover four or five innings. So I was like, well, there's eight of us. We got to cover four. So just got, got a chance. Um, and I went out there and I ended up striking out. I think I struck out all three guys. I struck out three guys, but I gave up um, a couple hits and a run, which was fine, but was throwing yeah. hard and um, got strikeouts. So that was great. Um, but yeah, you know, everything got shut down and I was very hopeful that like whenever things kind of started to pick up that I'd, I'd get an opportunity because I, mean, I was in that weird spot of like, okay, this kid's this kid's good. He's throwing well. Um, and Beatrice came over to say hi. Um, <laughs> Beatrice is a very, very cute pit bull in case you guys are wondering. And my favorite all-time guest on this show. Yeah, she's a cutie. Uh, so like I had, I, you know, came home and I had plenty of motivation to push it because I was like, if, if things get back to normal and we're able to play, like they're not going to want to use guys that they're, they're talented young guys that they're not going to want to put on the 40 man. They're going to want to put, you know, somebody they're not afraid to get rid of in a sense. So I was very right. hopeful that like, I'm in a great spot. I put myself in a great spot with this organization over the last month, you know, let's keep pushing it, keep doing what they're asking. And hopefully, you know, you get a chance to go back whenever things get back to normal. Um, and didn't happen got the call at like uh the end of june i think or middle of june like hey we're gonna get rid of everyone that's on a one-year like that contracts up in a year and so that was i guess i shouldn't have been as surprised to get that phone call um knowing it still that hurts. My, yeah it hurts it hurts i i lost my motivation for uh after that because i was in school at the time and busy and i was like all right i guess it's time to take a month off <laughs> you know like so um i uh took some time off after that and then started cranking it back up again yeah and so obviously since then you've worked on the mental aspect of your game you're 94 to 96 indoors you've hit 99 in a game you're ready to go yep let's get you back out there i'm just gonna brag about it for a quick sec after that month COVID hit right and baseball shut down and some of the other pros in our building were back and they were trying to get some live ibs in order to get ready to go back whenever the season started so we were lucky enough to get outside and Ferg was in there with, you know, Giolito and some of our other pro guys. And we were facing Casual hit. There's Gio, one... name drop. Giolito. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Giolito brought out Andrew Vaughn, who's, you know, one of the top prospects in the White Sox organization. Hit a home run the other day. Was hitting fourth in spring training. Like, we'll probably be a part of the White Sox this year. And Ferg was, I think, up to 98 that day. Uh, I'm not sure if he broke his bat, but he got it on his hands. He had a weak ground ball to first. Like, he's getting guys out that are playing – in the big leagues basically so he's definitely got the talent 
Um, and as you said, he's been up to 99 games, so someone needs to take a shot on him. Ferg, let me ask you, could you strike out Dansby? Be honest with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know his weakest. We're going cutters. No hesitation. Way. We're going cutters <laughs> down and away. You get him leaning, you can bust him up and in or just keep pounding him down and away. I don't know. I mean, he's either going to – I'm either going to get him off the, off the cap or he's going to flip something in the right field. I like that's, that that's, answer. That's my, I'll, I'll give him my game plan up front. We're going cutters down and away and then maybe slider chase or fastball. Are you he's yell, in town, we got to make this Yell happen. the pitches at him as you're throwing him? <laughs> yes. Here it is. Cutter. It's coming like again. It. It's coming again. Just one quick thing before we go. I know that they're – a lot of people that are casual followers of driveline or OA or just sort of baseball facilities in general, think just velo, velo, velo. That's all they do training. And Ferg, you were a guy that kind of came to us already with the velo, but one of our big focuses was kind of taking the cut out of your fastball. So if you want to just kind of touch on that or kind of how we approach that uh, just briefly before we go. Yeah, I think, I think in the, this day and age, everyone's chasing velo and luckily I've thrown hard since I was, basically in high school. So I've always thrown hard, but I couldn't get the swing and miss on the fastball. And it was kind of always like this mystery of like, why can't I get that swing and miss? And I think the, again, I think the yips had made, made it worse where I was like the year I got released from the Rangers, I was throwing fastballs at like 72% efficiency, like couldn't break 80, like 65 to 75 was the range. And so I'm just throwing these fastballs that are basically like, BP fastballs at 95, or I mean, at the time when I got released, I was throwing 90, 92. So BP fastballs at 90. Um, and so the goal was, Hey, can we spend this fastball more efficient, get more of the, of the vertical and horizontal movement on it. Um, so it's just been a process of, you know, tons of pivot picks, hammering those away, uh, <laughs> a little bit of work with the clean fuego. Um, I went up to driveline. Uh, at the end of my indie ball season, which would have been 2019. Um, and we worked on it there and it was like, you know, pronate more, pronate earlier, whatever you need. Like, and so it's just been a process of trying to get that consistent and it's not perfect, but i went from, you know, I can, it's averaging around 90, 92% efficiency. Um, there's still some cutter, like some little cutters and little cut balls in there, but yeah, it's, it's been really helpful. Cause now I can, I know if I execute the fastball, up and arm side, I can get a swing and miss there. And it, and the Dodgers told me they're like, velo is the number one thing that plays. So if you throw hard and you can elevate it, like it'll still work, even if it's not 22 crazy vertical movement. Like I might not get as many swing and misses, but if I execute the pitch, I'm going to get pop-ups, weak contact. So yeah, at least I have that now because of all the process of everything we've done, being able to have more confidence in my fastball, but I'm still more of a cutter, cutter slider, slider guy. Yeah, I can spin it. A, a slutter, if you will. Yeah. Tyler, I can't thank you enough for coming on and being so honest and vulnerable with us. There's a lot of guys that wouldn't be that forthcoming with their experience with the Ips and with their experience seeking out counseling for it. So yeah. props to you. We are thank cheering you. hard for you. We're going to be posting videos of you on our accounts, from Lucas's account. We're going to be hitting up our friend Pitching Ninja. Get it yeah. out there. He's yeah. Pitching ninjas. I mean, he's done amazing things for a lot of people, but he's also the reason why I got, you know, I got the Dodgers job too is because of him. So can't thank him enough for what he's doing. Yeah. He's an unreal human, like great mind, great person. We had him on a couple of weeks ago and I just, 
I always forget. I don't always forget because I know that I love Rob, but um, you just get a whole new appreciation for him every time you get to sit down and really pick his brain. Man, talk about a stacked college team. Yeah, that's probably one of the like most unfair teams I've ever heard of. And it was funny to hear him talk about like how dominant they were the year before. And that like during this year, you had this like super stacked team, but they like put it together at the right time that they weren't Mm -hmm. that consistently dominant throughout the whole season. Um, Pretty wild. And Vanty's stacked again. They are. They I remember going into this year at the beginning of the college season, all the hype was about Kumar Rocker and he was, you know, head and shoulders, the best pitcher in college baseball and was so dominant last year. And he has had a heck of a year this year. Like, don't get me wrong. He has a sub one ERA still. I think he's had more strikeouts than innings. I think he's five and zero or six and zero. but he may not be the best pitcher on the team. Yeah. Jack Leiter has like showed oh, up. My God. <laughs> And it's so hard to like pit teammates against each other because you don't want to do it. But like, this feels very reminiscent of the 2011 UCLA team where it's just like, you have two pitchers that, you know, are going to be so successful and you know that in drafting them, like you're not making the same risk that you are in other places, but it's just, it's wild every time you see it happen, right. Where you're just like, how did this team end up with, these two the fact like as we have seen in our baseball fandom and our just baseball watching and being around the game there's so many little things that happen in a game that can cause someone to get a hit obviously there's home runs line drives and hitting ball hard but broken bat hits bunts uh bloops that fall in the fact that he is 16 straight innings of no hit baseball is just bewildering to me yeah, that's just like a level of domination that you can't script in it in a conference that isn't like the SEC is a good baseball conference right now. You've got yeah, Ole first... Miss, you've got Mississippi State, you've got Arkansas, you've got Vanderbilt. Like they're all, and LSU has Jaden Hill, who's absolutely dealing. Like this is not a week like they're not no offense to like some conferences but they're not doing this against like even average college baseball players they're doing this against great college baseball players if it was against average college baseball players it would still be incredibly impressive but his complete game no hitter 16 strikeouts was against the number 16 team in the nation and then he followed up with seven innings of no hit baseball the very next week it's just and also shout out to uh, Tim Corbin for actually pulling him in that after that seventh inning, he was at I think 101 or 102 pitches after he did 124 the week before. It obviously was not an easy decision when you have another no hitter uh, in the works, but definitely shows his care for his players, which obviously we heard with Ferg uh, and their long-term careers instead of just getting a W on the, on the scorecard. And we got to hear from Ferg about the development of Tim Corbin, how he's gone from being just a hardo to, um, mm-hmm. yeah, this level of like individualized coaching that's really special. Speaking of really stacked teams, in 2012, Harvard Westlake, which is a high school in California, not what city is it in? It's by Los Angeles. I'm not sure if it's actually in Los Angeles. Okay. So Harvard Westlake in 2012 had three pitchers whose names you might recognize there was 
Max Fried, who is the opening day starter for the Atlanta Braves. Jack Flaherty, who is the opening day starter for the St. Louis Cardinals. And Lucas Giolito, who is the opening day starter for the Chicago White Sox. I cannot imagine as a high schooler having to face those three. Like, oh, man. In high school, you play three games. Well, in Texas, we play three games a week. So you play Friday, Saturday, Tuesday. Like, you're, that's, that's what you're looking at, you know? And if those are your rotations, and you always have kids, like, I don't know. That's a spirit-breaking starting rotation that is unreal that would be unreal at the major league level if those three were on a rotation and the fact that they're on one high school team is just i i don't know their record that year but i would be hard pressed to see them lose i don't know they probably lost at some point but i can't see it happening yeah i just like i can't even imagine i i can't imagine but i bring that up because one of those three Chicago White Sox ace Lucas Giolito will be with us next week. Mm-hmm. So he's coming on the show. We're really excited about it. Um, super appreciative because he is taking the time out of the opening week of baseball to record with us. So come back for that episode. You guys are going to love it. And yeah, tell your friends, subscribe, rate us five stars, take your friends' phones, write our reviews, whatever you got to do. Get all your friends here. Mm-hmm.